That Force Radio. That Force Radio is rated M for mature. Or should that be immature? Hey guys, Dustin Wint. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. You're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Tom King. I write Batman Bitch. And this is Bat Force Radio. Alright everyone, welcome back to Bat Force Radio, Batman slash DC podcast with no limits. Exciting, big kick you in your ass day for DC, probably one of DC's biggest days in, in, in regards to publishing, and uh, we got the king in the building as well, but let me get the panel out of the way first. I got uh, Arkham Inmate 0801 from West Virginia. Yo. I got Grandpa Batman from Texas. Yeah, howdy. <laughs> Robin Cross from Canada. A boot. And the legend has returned, our good friend and a master of Batman continuity, Scott Snyder, is in the building. And Scott, welcome back, brother. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, man. It's always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Thank you, man. And then thank you for um, all the hard work you're doing as usual for uh, DC Comics and the Bat- Batman Mythos as usual. Um, lots to get into tonight, but um, let's start with... Um, the, what's been uh, killing the interwebs today? Uh, a lot of great books came out, but uh, a big anticipated book was um, Batman number twenty-one with Tom King and Jason Fabok. The Button begins. It's a yeah. part one of a four-issue series, is it not? Right. It yeah, is. Yeah, it's four. Batman yeah, it goes Flash. back and forth. It's like Batman twenty-one, Flash twenty-one, Batman twenty-two, and then Flash twenty-two. Right. And uh, your thoughts on a writer and as a fan as well to see like this new door opening for the DC universe with uh, the potential of this huge merging of, um, you know, popular characters from the past and ones that are going on right now. Like, uh, what are your thoughts on, on everything going on right now in terms of this button? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, first of all, I would just say that, um, you know, Tom and Josh are, and Jason also are really good friends um, and have been for a couple years now. Um, I got to know Jay really well on Batman Eternal as Tom as well. And Josh I've known forever since before long before he was at DC back when he was just you know before he was doing Nailbiter any of that stuff so we all go way way back so seeing um them get to do a project as big as this um in coordination with Jeff Johns is really really exciting for for all of us um and yeah man I think you know I'm always up for any kind of sort of daring push as long as it's true to core for the characters and if there was a mystery as big and cosmic as the one that jeff is setting up i think batman would follow it with his kind of science bro (laughs) flash so i love that pairing and i've always been i've always been um excited to see them together and i know that those two guys i mean as writers josh and tom are two of the best and two of the best guys I know. So I don't want to give away anything that they're doing. Like if it was my stuff, I would spoil it right and left for you. But (laughs) (laughs) So I know, I know the whole stories. So I'm like tempted to tell you a lot of cool stuff that happens in it, but sort of like the cardinal rule of, of, I don't want to spoil somebody else's stuff. I'll spoil mine, but (laughs) so I'm just excited for him. It was funny. We've been, we've been in talks with Tom too, about everything that's going on and uh, thinking about when's the best time to schedule Tom King to come back on. And, and he's just, you know, 
Tom is really laid back and loose and whatever, but he was like, oh, man, DC has my hands and feet shackled, man. I can't do anything right now. That's that double shit, man. He always makes fun of me that I'm, like, sitting in my hot tub with, like, because I'm monthly and he's double shipped and whatever. But, no, I give him – I give everybody on the double shit books a ton of credit, too, because I, I, I couldn't do it, but the – um the uh, quality of the books has been so good that you know they they deserve kind of double double kudos for being able to do it that um, mm. fast and that well. Now you um, you're you're a big Watchmen fan, right? Uh yeah, oh hugely yeah. That year it was like all 1986 or whatever it was where it was like that Dark Knight Returns, and then the following year Year One, Arkham Asylum, following year Killing Joke, and Sandman was right around then too. It was like. Yeah. A bomb went off in my reading life, you know, around that time I was maybe, you know, nine years old to when I was about 11 years old was just super formative for me. Yeah. <clears throat> a, this is a really exciting time being that, uh, you know, with the whole rebirth thing, which you know, Jeff Johns' vision was just brilliant. And just to see how it's unraveled uh, throughout almost a year now, it's just so groundbreaking. And then now we're on the point of where we're, you're merging, like he's bringing back the Flashpoint stuff. And we have potentially you know, the Watchmen coming in. I mean, reading this, like, you know, well, you've already seen it already, but, like, uh, from a fan perspective, it's just, it's so cool to see these cherished worlds start to merge and so well done. I mean, with the writing's top-notch, the art's top-notch, and uh, it's like, you know, you're at the forefront with all these guys, but your level of excitement for in terms of, you know, the Watchmen being, finally being merged with the DC Universe, like, what are your takes on it? Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, that's... Jeff, what Jeff has planned in his own way with it, he's been thinking about for years, you know, so mm. you always know with Jeff, it's going to be something really universe spanning and, and cosmic. And one of the great things was getting to go out and hang out with him. I guess it was the beginning of December, end of November mm. and lay out all of the metal and have his story completely laid out. And we, he has this um, office with this wall. That's like a giant whiteboard. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> like the wall is a whiteboard and he just goes up there and we just laid everything out and what fell what month and how it came out. Um, mm. And how the stories could kind of talk to each other while still being separate and Batman being the focus of mine, other characters being the focus of his, you know, but both being really big DCU spanning sorts of stories um, so it's just been, it's been a pleasure and, and what he has, I know, you know, I, I've seen a lot of, I know his whole story and like also what I've seen, um, you know, um, scene by scene, a lot of what he's doing and it's just, it's going to blow your mind. He's, he's just the best at, at this kind of thing. And, you know, it, to, to watch him work too is really phenomenal. He's <laughs> one of those guys who like, he just breaks stories, so it's like second nature to him at this point. So right. you know, I love doing that stuff, and I teach and all that. So I always feel pretty confident in my ability. But then when you watch him do it on the board, it's like watching Neil Gaiman or somebody like that that just does it a different way than you, and and is so adept at the way they do it. They do it. Really, I imagine that board being like the Goodwill Hunting math board, where he just goes <laughs> up there. And it's, it was shit. like that. It was. It was. It was like maybe 10 feet long like all of it because we did it in columns and you know different colored ink and all that stuff for different characters and he was like well if you use this character i'll use this character and if you end this way then i'll pick that up here and you know because he's he's kind of what, what he's planning is is after metal and all that stuff obviously mm. um so oh, i wish you could tweet that board I mean, I know. <laughs> it's on my phone <laughs> oh no 
but it was funny because uh, Jason Inman from uh, DC All Access was on a show, uh-huh. and uh, he was talking about one day he was passing by the offices, and he just looked in, and I think he saw, I think he saw Josh and Tom King and and Jeff Johns and a couple other guys, and they're all like sitting down, they're getting up, they're staring at a board, they're getting up, they're racing, they're going back, they're looking at it, and, <laughs> and he's talking about how how Jeff will literally sit down with each and every creator and break down what they're doing right now. And like not only encourage them, but work with them in terms of what's going to go on in the future, and, and at the same time give them the creative freedom they can to like really you know push the character, the team, whatever it is, you know, to the fullest extent. It's a fun room to be in. I gotta say, it's a yeah. fun room well, with, sc- with I- them, and it's intimidating, you know. But I I love that stuff. That's my the best part of the job is when you get on the phone or get together in person with other writers and get to sort of make collaborative story that way. So metal has been really fun in that regard as well. Yeah. Now, talking about, you know, today being um, a great day in the comic book world, your new book also dropped with Batman All-Star 9. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was a very fun issue. Thank Jock you. came back on, I guess, yeah. last second, I guess, emergency fill-in. Could you give yeah, us Yeah, it was, it, it, was, it was rough. Afua, who's a good friend and who I love, um, injured her shoulder. Oh, shit. Uh, while she was doing commissions at a con and it was, it was right when she was starting. So she had about three pages done or so, I think it was. And it was, was way before, you know, we, we needed it, but we'd been talking about doing it forever. And then she, I started talking to her and I'm like, are you okay? You sound like you're stressed out. And we were on the phone and she was like, Oh, I hurt my arm and I'm worried about the pace, but I'll get it done. Don't worry. I promise I'm going to get it done. And I was like, we can work together anytime, you know, on American vampire on, on, on All Star, whatever you want, but like the last thing I want is for you to feel like you're stressing out and pushing yourself and gonna hurt yourself on a series that's designed to be for artists to enjoy themselves and just explode. Like the whole fun of All Star for me is to be able to say to somebody like Giuseppe or um, Francesco or Declan or mm-hmm. Lisa Tula, what do you want to draw? And, you know, we have all the time. We have plenty of time to do it. I get ahead. You know, right now I'm doing this art with Raphael, but then I'm already working on the one with Sean, which is four or five months down the line. So it's really a place where, you know, the metal and Batman, and when you're on a monthly series that's um, that demands a different kind of pre- – it has a different kind of pressure on it like Batman, where Batman needs to be – the entire sales line is judged by how Batman is doing. Always. Right. Like yeah. ever since – <clears throat> the new 52 and that wasn't just our doing i'm not like tooting our horn i just mean it became the bar that dc started to look at as batman has become our most popular character around that time if batman is selling well it's healthy if batman starts to go down we need to think about some things to do and so on so that pressure is tremendous you know what i mean as a creative team month after month because <clears throat> you know over the course of five almost six years on that book it's just like how can you both be creatively daring and do stuff that you feel personal about and then just block out the sales stuff but also be aware of it because it's in your ear and say like, well, how do I take this idea that's personal to me like, you know, end game and make it really poignant but also make sure that it's big enough that it's going to excite people and all of that. It's a, it's a math, you know, it's a constant math where it's a balancing act of like, <clears throat> you can see it going on with Secret Empire with Nick, where it's like clearly this is about stuff that Nick deeply cares about. You know the the politics of it, the mm-hmm. terror of it, all of the stuff in it. Um, 
and he has to balance the idea of doing stuff that's personal with every character in the Marvel universe and all that. And I'm sure he's going to do a great job. But that, to me, like that pressure and that constant grind is um, something that I need to like get out of the ring for a while, like I did with All Star, and then be like, all right, I can go in again, like and with metal and be like, let's do it, you know, mm. um, and and take on that pressure. It's just after almost you know that long of being on bat batman wears you down you can mm-hmm. ask tom it's tough you know because mm-hmm. the best book in the world it's the best character but everybody's always looking at how it's doing everybody's always looking at mm-hmm. where it is in the charts and all that stuff so for all-star the last thing i wanted was for it to feel that way um i never expected it to be competitive again like sales wise so the fact that it's still in the top 10 and all that stuff just blows my it seems it seems to be sitting what around like five six. Uh, I know. I, I, with everything else going on. I know. I know. And and it is expensive. I'm gonna lower the price of it. I'll tell you that. But the um, the um, after this Raphael arc, I fought them to finally be able to do that. So that'll be good. The um, yeah, I never expected that. But um, it was designed as a place to go that would be like a treehouse where you go with your artist that you want to work with. And you do stories that are personal and try and re-examine the villains and do really different things with them and different things with Batman and with with Alfred and all that. So, you know, with Afua, it really was just a matter of, I don't want this to feel like Batman proper for her. <laughs> like that she's struggling to get it done in time because she's hurt and it's pressure because it's a big debut for her in terms of having a big spotlight, all that kind of stuff. So we just said, you know what, take some time. When we're done with the Rafa arc, we'll revisit it. We'll, we'll figure something out. We're friends. You know, I'm friends with her husband, Cameron. They're, they're both great people. We'll, we'll, all, we'll just figure it out. And no one was mad. There was no hard feelings whatsoever. It was all it was all good. And then I just asked, I was like, Jock, what do you think? And Jock is always ready. He's just like, I'm in. And I was like, great. Because the funny thing is, this this issue, the issue I think probably fits his style a little bit. I really, I really tried to design it to fit Afua. But then when Jock came on, I could do different things that I suddenly realized fit his style better, like the helicopters and the 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 motorcycles and mm-hmm. the the soldiers and the batumans. And with with her, it was more of the conversation and the emotion. Um, some of the stuff that I know she loves drawing. And so, you know, mm-hmm. anyway, that yeah. So I'm really happy with this one and how it came out and all that stuff. But um, Jock's always a Jack's always an amazing friend and <laughs> hero in his own right. Scott, thanks thanks for be- bringing Selena back into All Star because yeah. I love Selena and that was a re- that was one of the most badass ways <laughs> to bring Selena into a book that I've ever that, that read. In, yeah, thanks. I really I love I I know she's you know she's figuring really big in in Tom's plans right now and Raish Raz. I still say Raz. I know everybody says Raish, but yeah, I I say Raz too, man. <laughs> we're, we're in that club. <laughs> I say Raish. <laughs> The, um, I forget, I was wanted to go back and look, I was on a, when I was first starting out, I, they asked me if I want, I had just done Court of Owls, and uh, I was in the middle of it, I think, and they did a video at um, the animated year one, and they asked if I wanted to be in this panel for the extra features with a couple other bat people, and I was like, oh, sure, and I went, and it was Denny O'Neill, <laughs> and Mike Houston, <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, it's Denny O'Neill, and the he master. was talking about Roz, and I honestly... To this day, I can't remember if he said Raz or Raish, but I'm pretty positive he said Raz, and if he's the one that said Raz, then I'm calling him Raz forever. You know what <laughs> right, I, mean? yeah. and I, th- I think I've heard Neil Adams say Raz, too. So, 
Yeah. yeah. Go I, think, I remember I heard Morrison say Rage, and I was like, all right, I'll, I'll do Rage. <laughs> Just because yeah, it sounds Grant, Grant, Grant's his own animal with it, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, oh, just, I just want to touch on, um, you're talking about yeah, the pressure of uh, writing Batman. And I can imagine because in this day and age, you, you wrote The Court of Owls, and a couple of years later, we see The Court of Owls on primetime Channel 5. Yeah. And you, you wrote Super Heavy. Six months later, we, we have Bat, uh, Gordon Batman, DC Collectibles figure, Mattel figure. I've never seen turnarounds like that before. It was so, crazy, man. And yeah. they're already gearing up for these metal toys from metal. The poor, <laughs> oh, wow. trailer is like the closest thing I can tell you to what metal is going to be like. It was pretty cool. I was like, I was like, oh, man, we're all in the same zeitgeist. What's this about? You know, because it's. <laughs> It really, <clears throat> it has a scene at the beginning that's almost like Gladiator meets Flash Gordon with the Justice League, and it's really, it's pretty fun. I really love it. The first issue has like dinosaurs and giant <laughs> robots, and like I want, I really want it to be. My favorite things, my favorite DC events are just bonkers. You know what I mean? Where it's like Marvel <laughs> events are more grounded. Where it's like, well. The Phoenix Force is coming. We must decide what to do. Let's hold a council, and then they're fighting about it. Like they have like real world or real, like DC is sort of like, oh, there's a giant tuning fork with huge giant beings called the Monitors that are coming towards us, and there's actually a multiverse, and from that multiverse comes something called Harbinger and an Anti Monitor, and what? And it's like a giant white light is eating all of us, and it's like so bonkers all the time where you're just like, what? What are you talking about? It's, it's like a it's like a release from reality, you know. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's it really is that kind of um, just that zany kind of like bombard you with kid fun joy stuff. And so I wanted this because you know Rebirth. Um, so many of the events we've done over the years have been corrective. Like, you know, ever since the fifty two, mm-hmm. I feel like it was like. Um, you know, and the, and the 52 had a lot of ups and downs. Like, there were a lot of things I loved about it, and then a lot of things that were off with the the with the mm. structure of it and the, the, the ideology of it and so on. And so we kept trying to, you know, correct course, and we would we would always be on the, the – we were always on the losing end to Marvel or often on the losing end to Marvel. And now that things have kind of, um, if not flipped, at least, like, DC's in a good spot where people are excited about Rebirth and excited about the way things have gone. There's no pressure mm-hmm. to do an event that's corrective the way Rebirth had to be and the way, you know, the New 52 was and the way every crisis before that was about correcting continuity. This can just yeah. be like, let's go out and rock out this summer and just sort of, you know, have fun <laughs> and celebrate these characters and comics and go crazy, you know. So it's really fun. It's, I, w- I would tell you all kinds of spoilers, but I really want you to see them there. But it really is like. I want it to be the craziest thing with like Batman riding a dinosaur away from like in, in all seriousness, like that crazy where you're like, what am I looking at? And then it's like, can, can, he, can he slide down a dinosaur's tail like Fred Flintstone? Like, Fred. <laughs> like his own dinosaur from the Batcave? <laughs> no, not that one. Oh. It's a different one. It's that a different would be one. badass. I've always wanted yeah. to see that in action. I did, yeah. I, we did that a few times. I had it step on talons in yeah. Court of Owls and then Joker wrote it. Joker wrote it, yeah. But I want to see it. Batman ride it. <laughs> I'm putting it in my wish list. I'll try and I'll try and fit it in there. <laughs> yeah, those were definitely always fun. I always uh, enjoy when Batman's putting these kind of outlandish situations and seeing how he adapts to it and stuff like that. It's always fun. Well, I mean, I, one of the like, things that I love about All Star, like the next start coming up after this, after Ends of the Earth was 
basically all star is a place where I feel like I can go to just look at Batman and the characters, the villains especially, but Bruce and the the mythos and the whole cast through a different prism. And I work with different artists to challenge myself with different writing styles. So like you can see like ends of the earth is sort of the perfect example where every issue is written really differently. Like, so the freeze one has, you know, storybook narration. It's like third person narration. Like there once was a boy who that kind of thing. And then Mm -hmm. the Ivy one has none. And then the Giuseppe one, Mad Hatter, um, that one has first person narration that then turns into sort of second, it turns into like, the voice in his head. And then this mm-hmm. one, um, the racial one has none, but it's done in a way that's meant to sort of be about storytelling in that way and it flips things. So the point I'm trying to make is just that every issue in this arc, I could sort of calculate what what's going to be the best way to tell the story with this artist about this villain and just challenge myself to write in a way you haven't seen me do before and I haven't tried. So in that way and then like the next arc coming up is a detect is a flat out straight up detective story but it takes place um in miami so it's kind of like batman miami vice it's pretty awesome i love it and it's it's pretty cool and it's like it's all about alfred actually it's really um alfred's uh story where it's like i've never seen anything that actually explains like what he did in mi6 and why he why he's like a military doctor and like what what his time there was like when he was like mi6 is serious dude if he was in that that's like a real thing you know Mm, yeah so i wanted to show like how he got in there and what happened to him and why he came here and create a villain and stuff from that story about that story of his past and kind of bring it back to haunt him in a way too. So I'm really excited. It's a straight up like Paul Dini style kind of story where it's, it's very sort of propulsive and, and like momentum. It's not, um, heady the way some of the ones in, um, ends of the earth are, are, it's just like, it opens basically with like Alfred being like, you know, you've heard many stories about my son, you know, the boy I raised, Bruce Wayne, most of them start the same, an angry young man. And you see Bruce, you see him running across these rooftops in London. He's like, this one takes place in my hometown. And then it's like, this is a story about like the distance between the boy he was then and the man he is now. And it cuts straight to like the Batmobile driving through Miami, Alfred's driving it. And it's like (laughs) on these big streets, like, you know, Tokyo Drift, like kind of crazy going and and I'm totally giving stuff away that I shouldn't, but like Hush is in a helicopter shooting at it like... There you go, Wes. Bruce is like, the car can take it, Alfred. Stay on the stay on the trail. And Alfred's all like, he's like, um, I hear you, sir. I'm trying, but my hands, you know, aren't listening to me. And then Hush is like, take it over the baseball stadium. You know, look at them. They can't even, like, he's driving like an old man. He won't follow us. <laughs> Fun. I love the series so much. And that's like, I can go from something awesome. that's like cerebral and dark, like the, um, final issue of ends of the earth to that which is it's literally a pirate adventure that takes place in miami with about out like mi6 stuff and it's Raphael and it's, it's so much fun i just oh, enjoy going to so work good. it's just really really fun because it gives me That's such flexibility to try and be nimble and, and challenge myself as a writer with these people i really love working with in different ways and Look, I, I couldn't be more excited to go back to, to work with Greg and to do metal, which is the opposite, where it's like you're in there like you guys are a tag team against the world champion where you're like heavy hitting <laughs> yeah. against Marvel. Like heavy a hitting. Legion of Doom. <laughs> yeah, well, you then the whole line rests on you again. You know what I mean? Where it's like All-Star 
if it does well, great. If it doesn't, if it's in the middle, who, who gives a shit? You know what I mean? I don't care. It's really for me. Um, yeah. But metal, that is a, a whole different, a whole different ecosystem of, of people <laughs> attached to it. That's like editorial is like, you know, like biting their nails about like, oh my God, yeah, can we use it to boost this character or this character? And, and how's it going to do? And how many covers and all that kind of stuff that I, you know, as a writer, you just don't. You know, none of that is appealing at all. But yeah. you learn to do it, and you learn you learn to to, to be grateful that, to have the chance to do it that way too. So I lean into it and like it. You know, I'll be like out there promoting it and all that stuff. But it's because I'm proud of it. I'm genuinely am. I was like, it was like two years ago where I was like, when Greg was like, I'm gonna, you know, we'll take a break, and I was like, yeah, man, yeah. And he's like, we got, and they're like, well, will you come back? We're gonna make an event. And I was like, all right, well what do I want it to be? And I was like, I literally was just thinking about it. And I'm like, what are people going to cheer for when Greg comes back? What do I want to call it? And I was like, rock and roll, whatever. Like what? And I was like, no, it's so simple. <laughs> it was like, it's metal. I was like, it's like DC. Metal. And, then, <laughs> and they, they, I will say this, like they fought me really hard on that one. Really hard. They were like, it's not, no one is metal that no way they were like, it's, that's like, you know, it's like seventies. And I was like, sure. It could be like seventies. I don't care. They're like, no, 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 it's too nineties. I was like, it's not nineties. And they were like, I was like, you're not getting it. It's it's like a like I, I I love Greg has introduced me to metal. You know, a lot of metal that I hadn't listened to before, but also um, it's a spirit. You know what I mean? It's being badass and, and all of that. And yeah. being like, you know, getting up and blasting and fighting and all of it, where it's like the whole thing. Mm. You know, and I'll start priming for that with John and all that stuff too. Where I was like, let's go for it. So with this one, it's like. It really is like, you know, it really is like off the wall, wanting it to be like every two pages you're like, did I just see what I think with that? Like, did that character just come in? I never thought I'd see Greg draw him. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what, 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 like everybody from like, you know, Dr. Fate to, I just want everybody in it where you're like, oh my oh, God, that fate, is, nice. when I have all the toys and then Greg gets to draw them, you're like, <laughs> You know what I mean? Or it's just you. you That's want amazing. It. Yeah. So it's. I'm really excited about. It. I'm super nervous. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I'm like really nervous. It ties into a lot of deep bat mythology, but it's a DCU story. So. So were you dropping mm. Easter eggs? And I think it was like, All Star two or three, where Duke was listening to metal. Yeah. Well, that well, yeah. Then, I knew I was doing metal year, over a year ago. So before I started All Star, I knew metal was coming. So the Blackhawks are the Blackhawks in are lead straight into metal. So, so. Greg's going to be the main artist on metal. He's the only artist on it. He's it's the just only me artist. Greg, okay. Man. It's me and Greg for mm-hmm. six issues nonstop. Oversized one, first, last, the whole thing. Oh wow! There's no other artist. Like this is just the two of us. All Star Nine for a second. Yeah, sure. Now, I don't know if it's the color palette on this one or if it's his paneling or something, but this doesn't ha- – it, it has a different feel than Jock's usual Batman uh, yeah. work. Is that a result of that this issue was originally written for another artist, or was that a conscious thing that you guys were going for something different in this? No, no. It was definitely the latter where you know we're working on Witches right now together too. So we're doing our second arc now. We finished the first issue of this. We're doing two things for Witches right now. We're doing a, we're doing a special project that we're going to do through Image um, Plus and all this stuff that's going to be like a, basically like a freebie that primes you on everything coming in the arc, but also is its own standalone story about a character in the second arc, which is going to be really fun. Um, it basically opens, I'm totally giving everything away, but it's like, 
It has this boy who's like, um, you know, my mom always seemed like other moms. And then he's like going to school and this guy tries to stop him on the street. And he's like, come here, little boy, you know, that kind of thing. And his mom like totally butchers the student. He's like, but in other ways, she wasn't like other moms. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> and it's like, anyway, it's like, uh, I really, I love that series so much. It's, it's the dark. I get to go like the darkest I ever want to go there. But the, um, the, uh, we're doing that and then we're doing arc two. It's simultaneously, they're going to come out some of, you know, in, starting in the late summer and then arc two starts in Halloween. Um, so Ooh. anyway, sorry, we were working on that so much that Jock was like, you know, if we do this issue together, I really want to switch the style to fit the issue. I don't want to work with Matt Hollingsworth because he's working with us on Witches again um, and that stuff. And, and you know, I've already worked with a couple other guys. And what if I did something with, with um, Lee Lowridge, who's terrific? And, and the idea was to try and give it a different feel, like a feel that feels, instead of the freeze issue, which almost feels poetic and distant, you know, and kind of like a storybook. There's a storybook quality and a kind of distance to it. Like a feels like it's almost a transmission from far away. This one we wanted to feel kind of like apocalyptic and hot and muggy and, you know, um, like the smog and all of that kind of feeling of like end of times. So we talked to Lee and Lee came in and really um, Jock changed his style up a little bit and also Lee made it more like bendy and more um, a little warped and Lee came in and used a color palette where like if you notice red is used in really particular ways in the issue where it signifies things that might might or might not be um, really like really there really happening you know or really have uh, Raz's demons in them and stuff like that so he wanted to sort of signal with red that these things are part of the clues of the story so anyway the point oh, is yeah, the tower, huh? like how the tower was uh yeah, was tower red. Is red at one point and that's what roz thinks and the same thing when he's like this is not a, a, a phone it's the phone is red this is not a car the car is red and he's like this is not a batman story the cape is red so he's kind of mm. it's what roz sees is is thinks is, is he has control over he doesn't have control over in that way so it was really interesting uh, right? and then there's red used in the in the like visions of apocalypse <laughs> that um Roz talks about there's red use specifically in those, like on the birds that are covered in oil and the trains and the. So there's the the, the, the the point is like, you know, with All Star, whether it's Steve doing the letters like the way he did in the Mad Hatter issue, or when he did them like font like a typewriter and storybook, or it's Lee bringing his A game to do really different kinds of color like he does here and make a language out of it that's different. Or Jock just changing up his style. That's what the series is for. It's always for like us to go and try and make something really special out of each issue that you know is just different than what you'd expect from anyone involved. So mm. that's the goal, and that's what I'm trying to do with Raphael with this, where it's like we're 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 really we're in Miami, and like wait, what? Like it's you know, it's awesome. Yeah, it's just different, <laughs> totally different. Just a left turn, you know. I just want yeah. every arc, and then the arc after that, the Sean one. You're not even going to – that one I've been planning for almost four years, dude. That, I've been dying to get to that one. That's like – that one is basically our DKR-type story where it's oh. – it takes up some oh, of the, the stuff that we, we did in this Batman 20 uh, – Detective 27 stuff. But it's it's kind of like a crazy old man Logan Batman story that's really, really the, dark. With, with the, the talking Joker head. It, I think that's how it opens. Oh. He's wandering in the <laughs> desert with it on a chain, and it's really, and it's talking to him, and he's just like, "Shut up!" 
<laughs> and so at first, you don't know what happened to the world, and he doesn't know what happened, why it's all destroyed. And he's young, though he doesn't know why he's young. It's really fun. I'm, I, I, I think I've told wait. you this, but that 27 story, like, oh, so changed good. the game. Yeah. That's yeah. literally one of my very, if I had to pick, like, three things I'm proudest of, on my entire time in Batman, that that little story is one of them because mm-hmm. it really was when Grant. I think I told you guys this, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but it was when I saw Grant at San Diego really early on when I was like really nervous about doing. Um, not it might have even been Court of Owls. It was either Court of Owls or Death of the Family, and he was just sort of like, you need to give him a birth and a death that's your own and make him yours, like where you. Imagine how he became Batman in a way that fits you and your world and imagine how he ends or doesn't end But depending on how you think he would do it And so that was really born of that statement where I was like god, you know Because I was doing zero year and I was like that's the birth and I know I, I love that story You know the most and then I was like what I need to figure out how he dies and I was like well Does he just live on forever? Do I figure out how to and I was like no he wouldn't do that would he use magic or something? No, no, he wouldn't do that. He needs to be immortal. He always needs to be someone who does die and does get old because he's one of us. But he has to always be there and live forever. Well, how would he do that? And then this solution to me, and it's not for everybody, like in terms of how their Batman would go, Tom's Batman, I think, would actually die. I mean, Tom's Batman would pass it, like die and pass it on. Whereas Grant's Batman would never even come close to dying. He would just always somehow be, you know, like go through the time loop back, you know. Go through the, the smoke some peyote out in the desert and go through the spirit world and come back. Yeah. yeah. Or whatever. Like for me, for me, this is the way I think Bruce would find his way out of the riddle of how there's always a Batman in Gotham that is Bruce Wayne. And yet also mm. make sure that each Batman is mortal and goes down with the generation that he protected. Because to me, that's the spirit of Batman, is that every generation deserves its own Batman that speaks to their fears and their concerns. And that's what we were deeply, deeply trying to do on Batman when I was on that. And what I'm trying to do on All-Star in a different, kind of more impressionistic way. But with Batman, it was always like, that's why Zero Year is about the stuff that I thought my kids were afraid of. From I've said this mm-hmm. to you, gun violence and all that stuff, whereas... You know, um, All-Star, similarly, like, this issue, this arc was really about, like, how do, what am I afraid of, like, in terms of, I wanted to be, like, if I want to use four villains, I want to do one-shots with them, but I also want it to be one big story. How do I make it fit? And I was, like, I want it to be, like, how they're scarier than you thought they were, and they're attached to ways that the world could end. Okay, I have it. Who would be the final big bad? It would definitely be Roz. Okay, well, what if he's going to end the world? What what way would fit him, and what's the scariest way? The way that I think it could really end. And I was like, this is that is really the way. And part of it, the reason I think that is both, um, it seems the most plausible just in general. But I also have our neighbor here, um, you know, um, spent time working for the DOD for the Department of Defense, and he loves, you know, we talk, and he loves that I'm on Batman and that stuff, and we go back and forth, and he's like, oh, the stories I could tell you, and I'm always like, oh, please do. Please but, do. He, you know, he's pretty tight-lipped, but one thing he was he was really interesting about, he was telling me exactly these things where he's like, you don't know the cyber capabilities that we have, that other countries have, and he's like, it wouldn't be hard to shut down, he's like, what you don't do is you don't shut down a power grid, although you could. What you do is you shut down... Um, you put an oscillator, you put a, 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 a DMN, that kind of thing, in an oscillator that's in a pl- made in a plant in France that's just part of the water pump system in power plants. 
and you set it off. So all the water, the, the problem comes from a pipe joint that's made in France, and nobody knows who did it because it's 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 from a factory over there. It's a time, and they don't even know how the thing went wrong in the first place. But by the time they figure it out, it's year, it's like way too late. And then you can create a false production trail that says, oh, this thing wasn't made there. It was made over there. And it was fascinating where he was just like, you don't even know. He was like, it just, he was like, it basically, everybody has the capability of sort of creating a, a, a Tower of Babel, nobody knows what happened, war at any minute. And he's like, they don't because it's proliferation. Because they, we have the biggest capability almost of anybody to do it, if not of anybody to do it. So you don't do it to us because we'll do it to you. But there are rogue people that want to do it to us. But we have defense. And it, it was fascinating. So it was just kind of like, he was like, you don't know, at any minute that could happen. That and would that keep me awake was, at night. Please. Yeah, well, yeah. that was the thing that was the scariest. Not because it's like a bomb's going to go off or a plague, which is super scary but seems more remote. It was that it could just go dark and you wouldn't know why. And and, and not knowing the the lack of truth, the lack of transparency, the lack of of um, of of sort of any kind of comprehension, I think, on our part of what what's really happening. And I'm no conspiracy theorist or anything like that. I just believe deeply that you know, if, if some some um, group or some nation launched a cyber attack on us, we wouldn't. It would be very hard to figure out what went wrong or what happened or whatever. And you know, all that kind of stuff to me is terrifying. That's where the next kind of big war comes from: is those kinds of you know, yeah. those kinds of pokes, and that we have stuff and everything. So, I was like, well, that's what I think Roz would do. It fits in perfectly because. I want the All-Star to be about how each villain is doing something different than what they did before or doing something you haven't seen them do before. So Mr. Freeze is kind of like, well, instead of just trying to revive Nora, I'm going to try and change the world and then revive her. And then um, Ivy is looking for cures, you know, in this old ancient tree that you wouldn't expect from her, you know, for different things for humanity. And Mad Hatter is like, oh, I'm done making the hats that make me control you. I'm going to let you control you, and then mm-hmm. that'll be a world that I invite, you know, in. That was one of the craziest, creepiest issues, man. Yeah. Uh, it's like, yeah. that's where your horror side meets Batman. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I love the, the whole origin stuff and how you kind of created it where all the characters melded into the Alice in Wonderland dreamland and stuff like that. I really yeah, love that dude, issue. I've been planning that one for a while. So with this, it was like the ways that I think the world would end or could most likely fall into like complete chaos or one, if there's like a natural cataclysm, like a some natural disaster, which is the freeze arc because it's a spore released from the permafrost or a plague, which is hinted at in the ivy thing that, that there are trees where you can pull these plagues from and or through what I meant by solipsism in the Mad Hatter issue is basically the belief that you retreat from the real world into the makings of your own mind because you essentially you no longer sort of have any central kind of truth or information out there that you believe so you're sort of like my way of thinking and looking at the world is 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 mine and and the right way so i'm only going to kind of take in information that supports that i'm going to harden my view against things i'm not talking to anybody outside of my and that sort of retreat from the table that you see going on in a lot of ways on all sides, not just on one side, right now feels really dangerous. And then the real, the final way is this Ross way. So it was sort of like, I'm going to do one that of each different kind of way and then have Ross say, it could have ended those ways, but I'm going to do it this way. And the reason is because you're, you're exactly the thing. You are like the fake news Batman that like ushered <laughs> in this whole era of, that I hate that I'm going to now take over and be a part of. 
because I've always tried to fight you with the truth, like a doctor, and I've always pointed to the things wrong, and no one listens to me, they listen to you, and you just lie to them and say, we're all gonna be fine if we just try hard, and he's like, but they listen to your stupid bullshit and your lies, so I'm gonna make a bigger lie now and, and show them, they won't know who's attacking who, they won't know what's going on, and the, the lie I'm gonna tell them is it's all falling apart, so they better just fight for what they have and go for it right now. And so that um, just felt right. It felt like it was about demons and demonology, demons in the sand and all of that. And it also let me end on a note where Batman is sort of sticking up for the idea of the importance of and storytelling where he says, it's not always a war between fact and fiction. And he says, when I was a kid, I told myself a story about what I wanted to be, you know, after my parents died. And that story was impossible. It was a lie. It was nothing that could have ever happened. But stories, when they're, they inspire us, to think of where we can go and who we can be, they're like maps, you know, to the places that we, we can go if we, if we do follow them. Whereas stories that bring out the worst in us, he's like, those just vanish. They're, they're terrible things that just sort of, you know, come and go with the sandstorms and that. So Batman has a pretty strong, Bruce has a pretty strong belief about it. And I kind of echo that belief, you know, in that way, because it speaks to what Batman is. Even in Gotham, he wouldn't be able to cure a lot of the ills in that city, but in the real world, he's just a nothing fictional thing. So in some ways, it's a justification for why it's worth it to write about him beyond just being good escapism, because what you want to feel as a writer with it is that it matters, because you're pouring a lot of your own personal um, fears and hopes into it. And so ultimately, what he's saying is, if, if I'm part of a story as Batman, it says, you can be the best version of yourself if you fight and you're unafraid and you're daring that i'm not just a lie i'm a roadmap to get where you want to be and people will make that story true if they believe it hard enough they they won't just believe it and therefore lie to themselves they will physically bring it into reality by by following it you know and by force of will and so in that way you know it's sort of a a hope kind of a um a thesis about why batman matters as well to to, to read about and to write about. Yeah. I always thought Batman's popularity was somehow this uh, uh, subconscious cry for help in society, whereas we idolize this human being that is the 1%, as opposed to the 99%. He has the means, and he's pretty much saving the world on every level, from street alley crime to, like, <laughs> battling, like, race or Deathstroke or something like that. You know, and that's why maybe he's just... His popularity never ceases to slow down it's because he, he is human and he's he has these resources and he can do all these amazing things. But uh, but I just want to touch up real quick on um on the ends of the earth in, in general because sure. I uh, I absolutely loved this story as Thanks. a four part. I love the format split it up in four. You dealt with a um because we we spoke about this on the show literally years ago like almost years we was like you know what I would love we would love Scott yeah. Snyder handling each rogue. You know, yeah. how would he handle each role? How would he handle this one? How would he handle and and now we're getting it. And and to see, like, I, I mean, I absolutely loved um, My Own Worst Enemy. But Thanks. but the, the Ends of the Earth, the way it's tied in, man, I can't wait for that book. Thanks. Oh, I'm God. excited. Like the hardcover. Yeah. The, yeah. <clears throat> I'm really excited about it. And then the next two, too, the Rafa one's going to be huge fun. That's that's going to be more like my version of a Paul Dini story, you know, where – what I love about <laughs> <Nice>. Paul, <laughs> Paul, Paul had this incredible ability or has this incredible ability to make He's the story great. feel breezy and like feel, make it feel kind of like fluid and fun and just kind of like rolling along and then he'll get you somewhere where you're like god that's really different and inventive but you didn't I didn't expect it because it's so it's like effortless reading his stuff you know what I mean he's just 
Well, where he's, is he's brilliant because in a sense he all right he he could make you cry with Freeze's backstory mm-hmm. with Nora, but at the same time he he could have Batman using chicken soup to knock Freeze out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only thing that cures the cold. And believe me, like, and there's no uh, there's no bigger Bible to me. You know, no no greater sort of component in the DNA of my Batman than the animated stuff, you know, um, yeah. more mm, even than yeah. Frank Miller and that stuff, which I love. But yeah. so for me, it's that sort of that there's a real sense of humanity in that series. And there's a way of looking at Batman through other characters, usually either pedestrian or a low level criminal or, you know, and Batman often isn't like the emotional center of those is- of those episodes. He kind of goes around him and looks at him from different angles and that. So with this arc, um, I'm doing that with Alfred. I'm going around Batman and looking at him from out. He's in it. Believe me, like it's a Batman story, like I was telling you. But it's yeah. it's a different way. I've never narrated that way. I've never sort of narrated from the point of view of somebody Alfred talking about Batman as we're watching him while he's in the story. You know, he's like, but he's reflecting on what it means to be a father to this person. It's it's a very yeah. it's a personal story. It's basically about the ways in which we overprotect our children sometimes. But Alfred worries that he's actually done Bruce a disservice. Maybe he's done the wrong thing by protecting him so well that Bruce really believes that he can't. You know, Bruce is so convinced that he won't die and he won't get stopped as Batman. Alfred worries that maybe he's overdone it and protected <laughs> him too much in that way. And that's kind of the heart of it, you know. Which is something I worry about with my children all the time. You know, you yeah. over. Are you are you te- are you exposing them to to enough or too little or too much of the real world? You know. Just want to move along real quick. Um, you you have something with Tina coming out called Dark Days. Yeah. Uh, the Forge and the casting, I believe. Yeah. Tynan, Anything you could tell us about? Yeah, that? sure, dude. Um, that's the prelude to Metal, so I'm really excited about it. It sort of sets it all up. Um, you don't need to read it to read metal, but it's definitely something that um, will prime you for it. It'll give you a lot of the backstory. It'll show you Batman going around the DCU and the characters that are going to be involved. And it also is going to um, set up a lot of the concepts and some of the new ideas for it and stuff like that. No wife just got right. um, so She was on call at night. The um, So um, it's a really, it's going to sort of give you that whole giant DCU sort of panorama from Oa to, you know, Gotham and give you a sense of kind of the scope of the story and all that stuff. And it has three narratives. One is um, Batman as he goes around. One is um, focuses a little bit more on stuff being discovered by Duke about that are, that shows how Batman has known about a lot of the stuff and what he's found mm-hmm. over the years and also about him himself, about Duke. And the other big one goes back into the past and sort of um, tells you all the way going back thousands of years how this how this sort of thing came to be so without giving away too much and it's split between john ramita andy kubert and jim so i'm really excited yeah pretty cool tom has uh the war of jokes and riddles coming out and that's so that's post zero year so you Mm -hmm. you kind of set him up for that one and it sounds really um what what are your thoughts on that one because it sounds like a a big gang war between the the joker it's gonna be great no we we've talked it through that story and um i think that's gonna be your favorite thing on the uh, out of the run and Mikel is just amazing he's shown me a lot of the um early stuff some of the drawings and the art from it already and it's great so he is so good he really is mm. yeah that one you know i think part of it is that with the button you know tom had to really tie into to this bigger story 
And with metal, by the time metal starts, they're going to have to tie in a little bit, not much, but, you know, maybe an issue if we do that or not. But, you know, there has to kind of reflect the mood and that stuff, even if it's doing its own thing. And um, so in that way, I think part of what he wanted to do was go, like I did this actually when when I did Zero Year, it was when Jeff was doing um, Trinity War and Forever Evil. So I saw mm. all that coming and was like, oh, I'll do the tie-in issues if I need. But I, you know what? I just don't want to. I just want to go someplace where I can do my own thing. And um, I think that's the best the best thing Tom could do. And, you know, we were all really um, supportive and excited <laughs> for him to get to do that. Mm-hmm. Because I doing double ship and having to tie into so many things and also having to, you know, do Monster Men was another one you had to tie into. So to get some space to go do something that's your own, that's in the past where you're not messed with is always really thrilling. So one thing that I like about All Star, and it sounds like what's going to continue with, uh, you know, in Dark Days and Metal is that you actually get to interject, I guess, a little bit of your sense of humor into some of the stories where where we're like (laughs) Batman is so serious all the time. And this is like a little bit more lighthearted and fun. I mean, including in like All Star Eight, where you've got Batman uh, kicking Red Hood's ass, and he says, "You know, I cut the distance and show him why, unlike leather jackets, capes never go out of style." I was like, "Oh, he's digging at Jeff Jones." <laughs> yeah, well, I love, I love, I always love like I mean, my favorite line in that issue is where he steps on Mad Hatter into the water, and he's like, "I let him talk to Aquaman about it." He's like a bull. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, the beginning of the next one is crazy fun where it's just like, you know, I I, I didn't realize it was really around. I mean, it it was when I was writing Dick Grayson, it was really okay to be funny because he was Dick Grayson. So he could be like Bat Taser. You know what I mean? And He has my favorite line, which is like if I had to name like my five favorite one liners from my entire time ever writing the mythology, one of them is from black mirror where he says to red Robin, he's like, they're looking at these goons and he's like, be careful, red Robin. They're wearing sunglasses at night, which means they're very, very cool. (laughs) (laughs) And and like the, um, you know, and my other one, probably my favorite of all time is when Bruce finally comes back in super heavy and he's like, hello, Jim to Jim Gordon. And he's like, who died made you Batman. (laughs) does your wife ever read these and go come on those are dead (laughs) you know it really is like what it what it comes down to is um in court of owls there were there were some one-liners but it really i was still so scared writing writing that book that like you know it was more of him trying to be you know him being tough i think the first time i was like is this funny in that book was where he was like he runs over a talent maybe it might have been before this and i'm just not remembering but I remember openly being like, "This I want going for a funny line when he runs over Talon, and he's like, they're like, Bruce, what are you? And he's like, he has a healing factor, let him heal. And he's like, and then with, um, by the time we got to, and then, you know, Death of the Family lends itself to no humor. And then by the time we got to Zero Year, that was when I was like, it really, the reason that story is probably my favorite is because it's where it really hit me that, it was time to sort of build, rebuild Batman from the ground up for my kids and in a way that would be really ours that we owned, you know, that was like every, anyone that sees this Batman with the sleeveless, this would be Greg and me with the purple gloves. And you'd always know that. And that, that the colors and that, that whole thing that FCO brought with making it so zany and crazy and pinks and greens and 
that whole thing to me, reinventing the mythos that way was my favorite, most stressful thing, but my my favorite thing, and it's where we learned we could be really humorous when he's wrestling a lion, you know, and he's like, that's all you got. <laughs> or like, you know, all that stuff. That was where I was like, it could be, that's where, really where I realized it could be fun beyond just the fun of seeing him kick ass, where I was like, he can actually be funny, you know, and say things that are one-liners, and he can go and like pick the, you see him like spray painting the bat, and you know, Jim Gordon, there, it really, that was where I realized that. And so ever since then, I've tried to, lean into it but all-star is like more than all-star is just like i can be as funny as i want all the time with it i think i i don't know if anyone else finds it. i fuck me it made me laugh i think it's oh yeah. yeah there's points in there that make me laugh i love there's, it there's, it's fun, right? the, the next arc it's like full of one-liners it's like especially with alfred <laughs> you can get away with a lot with alfred you know yeah yes yeah. It, it's their interaction it's pretty funny at one point he's just like He's like, we're on a pirate adventure, Alfred. Go get some rum. Like, go, <laughs> go get some rum. It's pretty fun. I really like. The, it. You, you know who? You know who did real good? Uh, who? Who's it? Matt Manning is that his name? That's on Batman TMNT right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, oh, he was yeah, on the yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Did Did you read that part where he's? Because he know he knows Bruce is in the Batcave, and he he knows Bruce is not gonna eat because he's just overworking himself, and he's like. Okay, so I'll just throw your food out, and he's like throwing out an empty pl- uh, a plate with yeah, no food no, on no, it because he yeah, knew no that if there's nothing in it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that's just classic Alfred, right? There. Yeah, you know, he's he's, a, he's, a lot he's of so fun to write, and he's also like and he's so British, you know. That's, he is that, he's, that dry humor. He's he I, I could write. I love writing him just also because he's he's you relate to him as a father because he's like someone who respects what his son does a lot because it's like a, if your son was like a cop or a firefighter or something where you would hate what they do because you're afraid for them all the time, but you respect what they do and all of that, like that, that sense of that sense, that mixture of it is really potent, you know, really potent to write yeah. through that. I can write through the Damien stuff. I have trouble with because my kids <laughs> so close to that age. I have trouble with them. Hey, Damien's getting older though. So. Well, he, well, I guess he's growing up with the kids too. Cause, uh, I'll just cause age him up inj- suddenly and then he's 20, whatever. Then I can write him. But. Yeah, like in the Injustice the Injustice game coming out, he's like young adult already. Like, so. Yeah. yeah. They're doing all kinds of crazy things with Damien. Well, speaking of like Damien and Psychics, uh, I have to admit that Duke's really growing on me, oh, man. Thanks. Like, he's, he's yeah. evolving in a way. That is really, you know, it's the prime example of what publishing company, the big two should do in terms of don't try to reinvent or change established characters, but make new good characters. And that's exactly what we're trying. And there was a push, you know, at different points to make him Nightwing, to make him Flamebird, to make him like try all this stuff with him. And ultimately our real direction with him was. No, we want to find a place, even if it takes a while, where he's doing something that fits his character, that gives him a new name, new, all of it. So for us, like the big thing was when we realized he's someone who does things not only differently, but in a real do-it-yourself way, where he's like, Batman doesn't, you know, Robin doesn't need a Batman. The first time we ever saw him as a kid, he was like doing a crossword puzzle to beat the Riddler. And when Bruce is like, well, I'm going to leave the city, he's like, go ahead, I got it, you know? He's very much like this generation of heroes respects and loves the generation above but needs to figure out how to do it on the, their own terms. And so when I realized, well, talking to, it was talking to John's actually, talking to Jeff, being like, well, what, what does that sound like in terms of a mission? What would his mission be? And we realized, well, he'd go out by day. What if he's like got, goes out and he goes out by day and he's the only Bat family member and then he meets them at sunset and like they go back, you know, like that. And he's a guardian mm. 
of Gotham in that way, that really clicked for me. And I was like, yeah, but he needs one more thing. What if he's really different in a different way? And this is over a year ago, you know, and we were like, Mm. well, can we connect him to something with metal and all this fun stuff? So basically, not to give too much away, but we're definitely, we're we're 100% um, like, you know, um, doing something with him that will be announced very soon um, that I'm really excited about. Because my goal is to not just do All-Star, but um, try and do a couple help a couple series the way I did with Talon and with Marguerite coming in doing the annuals where I can bring in talent from the class I teach and trying really, um, give them a runway through series that I can get greenlit and let them, you know, do the first few issues together and then let them take off. So that's really the plan with what I want to do with, with Duke and, and that stuff as well. So, and his, you know what, his outfit is fucking awesome man i love love his design isn't like that bad helmet and the color scheme the yellow and it's it's really cool because like i said like damien's the last robin he's like tron man yeah yeah like a cool bat tron or just it's i gotta admit and i'm not trying to kiss ass but after reading the backstory in eight when i got nine i just immediately went to the backstory because i wanted to find out what's going on with him Oh, thanks, man. I really, I really appreciate that. I'm really excited about it. I think we're trying our best. Like, I love, I love the character, and I just want. I get a lot of, I get a lot of comments about him from readers that you know are into him, especially younger readers. And I just want to make sure we try and find a place to land him in a good way. I think, you know, when we did, when we did um, Harper, one of the things was that Damien was off table when we were developing Harper. And he wasn't coming back for a while at that time. And they brought him back to be totally open a little earlier than I think had been planned initially. So when we brought her in, she wasn't going to be Robin. But we were trying to find new ways of creating allies for Batman that would be young characters that could come in and help him, even if it was in a new way where like they, she was going to be somebody who kind of showed up and never wanted to know who he was under the mask ever because she would mm-hmm. think that would ruin it. But she'd hear the scanner come and they'd fight. And then I was going to sort of introduce another character on the other side. And it was going to be, you know, anyway. But Damien came back and then became Robin again, um, which was great. And Pete did um, extremely well. And so the mistake I kind of made with Harper initially was that my plans for her really revolved around her relationship in missions with Batman all the time. Like as a kind of Robin figure, even if she wasn't Robin. So when it came time to um, figure out how she would function without Batman in the book, um, I had I had some big ideas, but I didn't have the time to commit to it at that point because I was buried with Batman Eternal and all this other stuff. And so by the time I figured out with James, oh, you know what she can do? She can do this. We had a Birds of Prey plan. We had this. We had she'll go out and do this. We had all kinds of good plans for her, I think. It was it was already you know it was already there wasn't there wasn't an opening to make a series at that time and then so now we have plans for her both in detective and a series coming up hopefully in 2018 with other young characters but um, with Duke I really wanted to avoid the mistake of planning his role to always be next to Batman always be someone that needs Batman in the book in a way to and not that that's what Harper would have need always needed him but just a way to get it was like I needed. I needed that runway of this is what makes her different, how she interacts with Batman, because there was never there wasn't going to be a Robin around at that time. So it was going to be this new generational thing. But then when Damien came back and filled that role, it sort of left me and James unsure of how to 
how to make her not feel duplicative, how to give her her own space if she was next. And then it was like, no, 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 we're going to just use her in a way where it's just her, you know? And then DC was like, we have too many bat books. We can't really do something like that right now. And we're like, well, when can we? And it just, it, mm. do you see what I'm saying? All of it is, yeah. all of it with Duke was basically like, I love Harper dearly. And, you know, she's always part of our plans as is Cullen. And James has really become the steward of those two characters because he has a lot of ideas for both of them. Uh, in ways that are just he's better at that stuff than I am in terms of the big fabric of the bat family um, mm. but with Duke I just I wanted to be protective of the idea that he would always be designed to be a character that functioned outside of his relationship with Batman and that's why he's always said Robin doesn't need a Batman in some way and that and whatever he does doesn't need Batman the same way even though ultimately what he will do with going out by day and all that stuff will have Batman hugely a part of his life and in the book and all that. On the <laughs> subject of these new characters, these great new characters you brought in and stuff, uh, something else I was curious about, because I was really a big fan of the run, and I know it was something you were also hesitant about doing in the beginning, but uh, is there any plans ever uh, bringing maybe Calvin Rose back into anything? Yeah, I, I want to use him. I, I was trying to get James to try and bring him into Dark Days or into Metal. I'd love to. I love that series, and I'm really proud of James and what he did on it. You know, and, he, did, um, he did great work for that. Yeah, so it. I'm really hoping he will. You know, that's really uh, he has such a huge um, runway with Detective, and he has plans all for a long time. In terms of like, <clears throat> will you see Calvin? I'm positive you'll see Calvin at some point. Yeah, that's, that's the that's the power of creating new characters. Like we were talking about Duke and another couple of characters to look out for i think uh, olive silverlock from uh gotham academy has yeah, a lot of bad. potential yeah. and um and now mother panic has caught a lot of people's interest as well yeah you know the fun thing is just like dan made a really good point because a lot of what metal is if you think of like rebirth as a place where um we're bringing back classic characters and concepts and legacy, but doing it in a way that feels fresh, but, you know, not changing it. It's like bringing back the stuff hinted at, the JSA and those things that are, you know, all, all that stuff that's kind of mentioned in the in the um, primer in the book that came out in June and restoring history and Wally West and all that stuff. And metal is more about the crazy new stuff and trying, like, new things and throwing them at the wall. And one of the things that Dan brought up that was really interesting to me, he was like, don't be afraid to just try stuff. He was like, Court of Owls is super crazy, but you just did it and it's stuck. And he was like, that's what was Firestorm and Killer Croc. And these characters failed when they came out. He was like, Killer Croc was like a total flop. And right. so was he was saying like, he named a bunch of them that you were like, really? He was like, no, no, they were like, like the ventriloquist still didn't get his due, you know? Yeah, yeah but, but they just somehow, sometimes they just come back and they just sort of stick, you know? And, yeah. and heroes that like, pass and then peep someone will bring him back and make him awesome and so he was just like go for it and i i love that spirit i would much rather at this point in my career take a risk on a character like duke or take a risk on a character you know a new villain or a new thing than not and i love doing the old classics obviously in new ways as i'm doing on all-star but when it comes to chance to like do a new series or do something like that i feel safe enough now it's not I'd rather take it and fall on my face with somebody that I, you know, because the other, like I said, if with the series, with Duke and other books that I'm going to do in the future too, outside of my main stuff, I'd like to bring in talent from the workshop I teach and really give them a chance. So mm -hmm. what better, like what better, you know, I don't know, there's nothing more rewarding than when you're 
your former students start writing better than you. Terry picked the next Tynan out of him and whatnot. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> well, that's, I have two two people coming in this year, so awesome. I just wanted to ask one question. Me and uh, Wes over here are big fans of Slay. We just wonder, maybe anywhere down in the future, would you ever consider of dealing with a Deathstroke in one of these stories by any chance? <laughs> oh, I'd love to. You know, funny enough, like Deathstroke was actually going to be the original um, end of. Um, Black Mirror, if you can believe that. Wow. He was oh, I was going to seed him in, seed him in uh, in the role that the Joker plays in that book initially, right. um where he was hired. It seems like he was hired to kill somebody, but it turns out to be James Jr. because it's really him. Like it was going to be the same fake, you know, kind of fake out where it was like um in the if you remember in that story, everyone thinks the Joker's on the loose and he is on the loose, but that he's on the loose and killing people, but it's not the Joker that did this to 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 um, uh, Jim Gordon's ex-wife, it's James Jr., and he's really the bad guy coming after. He did it as a distraction so he could come after um, Barbara and all that stuff. So uh, I was all excited to write him in that. And then it just, as I got closer, I was like, you know what? It's too, he's too tough. He's not creepy enough. He's not creepy. I want creepy. And then I was like, oh, can I use the Joker? And they were like, yeah, 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 sure. And I was like, (laughs) So excited! You know, it's like the Joker. <laughs> I was I was so nervous that I covered his face. I was like, I'm just gonna do it so you don't even see him, like just his eyes at first, the first time you see him, because I was so nervous writing him. Yeah. But I, I I can't even look at him because I'm too nervous because he's so. You gotta cut. Loose. You have to cut his face off, then you can look at him. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> but no, so I'd love to bring in Slade, and um. I would love to see your Slade because that would be like American Vampire Blood, <laughs> like that amount of blood. You know. <laughs> I have a lot of fun with him, and Chris, Chris is a great guy. I love what he's doing with that book right now too. So. Mm, Just yeah. as much as you find him, I'm sure Greg can draw up. Oh. Death well, metal just definitely lends itself to like everybody looking like death. There's a lot of Frazetta. It really is like Frazetta oh, mixed with like, heavy awesome. metal mixed with like Flash Gordon. So. Uh, now, just because you talked about uh, talent coming in, the first time you talked to us about All Star, this is going back a long time ago, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Paul Pope came up. Yeah, Paul. I'm really Paul is really. Here's the thing. We we keep talking about doing this one issue. And he's ready, I think, but he's also really um, takes a really long time, which is the right way for him to do it. You know, he takes. So what it depends on is me writing the issue ahead, like five or six months. And my goal here's my goal. My goal is to do it in between the Rafa arc and the Sean arc to do this. So if I can get just a little further ahead on the Rafa arc, I can write the one for Paul. And if he'll do it, then hopefully I can put it there. Nice. But. Nice. Yes, you know, I, I, now I have to do it because we keep talking about it, and I love him. Like we're we're friends. I just you have to do it because this is who else is ever gonna get this array of artists for one run? It's it's no one's gonna touch it. You... Well, Sean is a lock, so it's uh, Paul is the only one on that list, and well, I have to get a, a Fua back too because she was on the list, and now yeah. she she's off. Now so. if, uh, <laughs> if Paul doesn't end up being able to do it, and you need someone to fill in. I would love to see Lemire do uh, some Batman art. Oh, That'd yeah. be fun. I mean, the other people that I'd really love to work with, too. I mean, Tim Bengal, <laughs> Chris Burnham. Um, yeah. There's so many. I mean, I'm always bugging Sarah Pakelli, but I can't get her away from Marvel ever. Mm. Um, <laughs> they're, so, they're, they're a ton. You know, Sanford Green, I'd really love to work with. I love his stuff. Um, yeah. yeah, so I don't know. Uh, my hope is to just keep it going as long as they'll let me, you know, unless they change formats and, 
Go to well, that sketch cover I gave you was an audition, so if you <laughs> I have it, I have it in my office. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Scott, we, we um we just want to thank you so much again for your time. We love everything you're doing. I sense this new strength of, of confidence with you handling all these runs at the same time and match. It's it's a lot, but you you seem to be handling it with an, with an iron fist, and uh we couldn't be any any happier at the comic book stands every Wednesday grabbing it. So. Now, you guys have always been awesome to me, and I really appreciate. It. All of us do, you know. In the, in the, in, well, in we Gotham we appreciate your hard work. We know how much thought yeah. and time you really do put into this, and it shows in the pages that we enjoy Thanks. so much. So, uh, to our listeners, don't forget to grab All Star Batman number nine. Just hit the shelf. There's so many good things in the future coming from Scott Snyder and the whole team over at DC. And you know, Greg Capullo, Scott Snyder, the the Dream Team's coming back as well for Metal. <laughs> so it's gonna be a hot summer. So. Yeah. Well, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Hey, Gotham dwellers. Make sure to stop everything right now and subscribe to Bat Force Radio. We can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. Don't miss out. Guaranteed to satisfy all of your Batman and DC needs.